Yo, what's up guys? Nate here, here with Philip once again. We're doing another episode of the Pokey Talk Podcast, episode 7, The Podcast Awakens. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Uh, we're doing this podcast a little bit differently with the time-wise when we record. I'm getting my wisdom teeth taken out soon, and that's yep. uh, always fun, right? So. Yeah, we got a little <laughs> little time crunch, so we're gonna see how this works out. But yeah, should be all right though. I've only I've had my top wisdom teeth out, but not my bottoms. But oh, yeah, it, it wasn't been, it wasn't too bad for me. It's just been a nightmare for me with with all the <laughs> work I've had to have for my teeth the last two weeks. So yeah, getting all four done at once. Uh, some people were telling me I'm basically gonna be. Eating uh, or having a liquid diet for about two weeks, so I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, just get some Greek yogurt. Gotta get some yogurt, <laughs> some shakes, and ice cream. You can. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, today's episode we're gonna talk about the morality in Pokemon. Um, just kind of doing the right thing versus you know doing the wrong thing or some shady stuff that's been going on in the hobby. Especially post-2020, there's a, a lot of different new avenues of money coming into the hobby, and uh, we just kind of want to sift through them, see some of the scummy things we've seen, and especially now in a time of a, kind of a downward market, like a bear market, but uh, I feel like those things that we've seen during the hype, people kind of taking advantage of other people, it's kind of getting worse now that those cards aren't worth as much value. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we just want to kind of touch base on that. But uh, otherwise, for news, I mean, there's not a whole lot of stuff happening with news. We got a new set release upon us on the English side, Astral Radiance. Um, that's kind of something I wanted to talk about. Uh, we got some PSA news with some tiers opening up. And, uh, yeah, did you have anything else on top of that? I think news-wise, that's all we have uh, for the time being. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's get started on talking about these uh, cards that were revealed just a few days back. Um, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, so Astral Radiance, as a time of recording this, you know, will be a week probably earlier than when you're listening to this. But a lot of the YouTubers that just got their Astral Radiance booster boxes you know they sent out to the bigger youtubers that are more content driven as far as video goes and uh yeah i really think that this set is pretty solid as well as the arceus mm -hmm. set i mean it's set up really good we got the radiant cards coming in the english side we got uh, the new typhlosion variants a lot of character rares a lot of my uh my favorite cards are probably the character rare cards i like the flapple <laughs> for some reason he's just like looking up at a apple tree with the trainer behind him and i really like the hoot hoot which has his trainer kind of in the you know meditation pose and then uh, radiant greninja i i really like that card um however the radiant version in japanese i think still you know, takes the cake as far yeah. as the shyness goes. But I sent you there was a photo I saw of the English variant, and I sent that you last night. And 
Yeah, it's just not the same. It, it doesn't hit the same. I mean, a part of it is the the yellow border. Yeah. But it just feels like the shine that you, that you see from the Japanese side, it's just not quite there. They, It's like a slightly, it's like a variant reverse hollow is kind of what it feels like on the English yeah. side. I was going to say, it's almost like the Japanese side. It's like blingy, like over yep. the top, shiny, yep. wow. And then the English side is, is like shiny. Like, you know, obviously the Pokemon shiny, but the card looks shiny. It still looks good, but like Japanese just looks so much better, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of good cards with this set. And actually, um, one of the cards, it's very subtle, but one of the ones I love is the Golden Secret Rare with like the snowflakes and the snow. Uh, it's, I, I don't know, it's just the landscape. It's like a landscape photo in some ways, yeah. or the landscape artwork, and I absolutely love it. it. It doesn't feel like a Pokemon card. It almost feels like a magic card in some ways, uh, but it's just a very different card. I'm starting to like love all of those. There's a uh, one with a volcano, not in this set, obviously, but just some of the ones that they've done have just been absolutely stunning and beautiful, and... They don't get a lot of love on social media, but they're amazing artwork. Yeah, I remember, yeah, it was weird. They released a couple, I think, gym cards and, like, key places in the games. Yeah. Um, basically, key like, key routes in the games. Like, in the Japanese side of the set, they have, like, the Temple of Sinnoh, Jubilife City. Um, they got a couple items, like, Trekking Boots and Choice Belt, but, uh, like, Path to the Peak. That's the one uh, you're referring to. It's like just snowpath with like yeah, this, golden snowflakes. And this Temple of Sinnoh, I, th I think that's when you just mentioned this from Space Juggler. That looks like straight up like the Parthenon or something. Yeah. And like yeah. that one just looks stunning. It really does. And um, it almost looks like you got a like a, like Arceus shining down or something, and mm -hmm. then the, the very top of it. Yeah, those sets uh, or those those type of cards, these landscape and architectural golden secret rares, they don't get a lot of love on social media, but they really have stunning artwork, and I feel like they're being slept on in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like them a lot as far as the gold cards go, because a lot of the Pokemon gold cards are just, you know, the normal card with the gold treatment, so it's nothing like super unique, but but yeah, yeah. it's. Just kind of weird then, in that way. And then some of the character rares I like, I think my favorite two are probably the Spirit Tomb and Snorlax. The Gengar, uh, not exactly a huge fan of, even though it's one of my favorite Pokemon. Um, I don't know, just the facial expression on Gengar, I don't think matches the scene, like what's going on around it. Mm -hmm. And I just can't get into the artwork because of it. But Spirit Tomb, I think, is might be one of the best ones. Are those two, those are from the Dark Phantasma in Japanese, right? That's correct. Yeah. You got the you got the Pikachu one too, but with like the sleeping Pikachu, that's what people are going to probably want. Um, I don't really care for that one too much, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that, that set's really good too. I mean, just got a lot of stuff released here. And then, uh, yeah, Pikachu, Gengar, Spiritomb, as far as the Dark Phantasma stick out for me. I even like the Parasect full art, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, going to be 
another hit you can tell you know with the uh, astral radiance on english they're kind of setting up the character rares again and then dark phantasma which is a little head in japan has kind of the same setup and uh so yeah this might be the the current like rcs 2.0 era of sets you know we got some alternate arts got character rares got some nice artwork all around and uh pretty solid it just adds even lesser value to the v variants i feel like but uh yeah and then we still have rainbow rares there's still our dark phantasma rainbow rares so. yeah there's kudras in there um there is a his Horrorark V Star that's gold that I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these even with one with Gudra, like these Rainbow Berries just don't do it for me. Yeah. Some of them are like even some of my favorite Pokemon. Some Pokemon I, I just like. It's just at first when I first saw them, I thought they were really cool, but maybe it's because they're being overshadowed by the character rares, the alternate arts. I'm not really sure, but and they've been around a while now, and then yeah, they've they been. Have pretty much like overdone the whole time like yeah it's not just one or two in a set it's like a handful always and uh so yeah you got the the v's the v star the v max before this and then like the full art character rares mm -hmm. alternate arts you just got a lot of stuff gold guards so might be overdoing it a little bit but it makes for a fun opening experience, I guess, but... Well, and, like, with the painter arts, especially, like, so they have them all in rainbow, but the regular ones look ten times better. Like, the one with the Volo, honestly, his pose is very, very reminiscent of, like, something you would see out of Dragon Ball Z in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just looks like he's, like, about to power up or something. Uh, I think that's pretty cool, and you got, like, these, uh, this, these intimidated columns... And the in the background, it just looks really, really neat. I uh, in most cases, I like the V variants. Like when they did alternate art Vs and V Max, like a lot of times, I would like the V variant more because I just think a giant Pokemon just looks kind of kind of silly to me. But I think with some of them, it, it adds to it. But I understand what you're saying. The mechanic, I, I like that they tried something different. For example, with the this. Sword and Shield games, but the mechanic is kind of peculiar. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's just because I guess I've been there from the beginning. But obviously, if you're younger, you probably won't know any different. Like you know, 18 years old, and you'll you'll just love it. I find the VMAX was okay. Um, it's just not as good. Like it, it just it does. I don't think it adds any true substance. Yeah. In my opinion. Um. So it's just. I guess it's a, it's just a matter of personal preference mm -hmm. um but yeah no I, I completely understand that like the like for example like with the, the uh, champion's path with the, with the rainbow charizard like i don't even know why people are all obsessed about that honestly <laughs> yeah i don't, <laughs> you really, I don't like the v max i love the v shiny way more than that yeah v -Max. yeah it is it is the better one i i agree with you i i really do but yeah it's uh it's interesting to see, and with the V-Star, I mean, they kind of toned it back a little bit, but, you know, it, instead of it being just a giant Pokemon, it's just like a more flashy version of that Pokemon. So I kind of like the way they went with the V-Star, kind of toned it back a little bit. But then they introduced all the character cards again, and so we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm kind of torn if I want to collect 
Japanese or English for set cards now because like yeah. I could get the Japanese a lot sooner and a It'll lot of cases cheaper. they look cooler. But. It'll be cheaper too. I mean, you're looking at it like so. For example, like the I'm looking at Time Gazer right now. So the Origin Dialga. Okay, so that whole background is absolutely gorgeous. It's like a cosmic, uh, or with with the overall color palette. It is like has this cosmic celestial feel, and the background matches it, and it's just stunning. Yeah, yeah, they got a really good look to them. Yeah, but yeah, like with the Eng- I mean, honestly, just with the, some of the English, it, it is better. But if you're looking just from, from the artwork and collecting standpoint, like for me, I don't have to be able to read these cards. I know what they are. I can tell that's a Dialga. I don't need an English name to tell me that. Yeah. And for me, it's all about the artwork. Like, I don't even know exactly, exactly. What half the English cards say. It's just yeah. strictly artwork-based. So. I never pay attention to the... It's very rare. Only sometimes does the uh, does the English variant trump the Japanese variant. I think it was the Domino's promo for Snorlax, for the Level X. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the English variant, the English variant promo was like, uh, pizza time. That the, the was like the, the move. It was something like that. It's not quite pizza time, but it was, it was something that along those, those lines. And you would miss that with, with the Japanese, but rarely is the English worthwhile for you be, to be able to read it, especially when it comes to the moves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's mostly about the artwork and, uh, yeah, in rare cases like that where it's kind of funny, like the moveset, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, those were Dark Phantasma for Japanese side, Natural Radiance for the English side. That's kind of where we're at in modern Pokemon right now. Like I said, looks like to be some pretty good sets coming up, and they kind of perfected the formula of the alt art and the character rares. So we'll see how it goes. But real quick, I mean, the only other thing we wanted to touch on was a little bit of PSA news. So anyone who's submitted or is on their email list or anything, they sent out this email. And it basically says, economy is now open. And so, of course, you know, I I scrambled. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get an order ready. I got to send it out tomorrow morning ASAP. But uh, turns out it's collector club members only. Um, which is $99 a year, which is not too bad if you got a big order um, or even multiple orders. But uh, as I sat on it, it's like, well, I just I just want to see how it goes. Um, because another reason I want to talk about this is Ludkins actually sent me out an email. And uh, it was basically an update. You can tell they were just getting bombarded with questions still. Um, they just sent out a general email saying, like, we know you're wondering where your cards are. We know it's been a long time. You know, they basically summarized the situation over the last two years again that PSA got crazy busy. Therefore, Ludkins got crazy busy. And then uh, they went on to reiterate that they've started noticing a trend here lately that PSA is slowing once again. And... Uh, Maybe that's got a lot of people worried, and that's why they're pushing out this email. But it was after the announcement that they opened up their economy for members again. So I think 
they're expecting it to really be a test of PSA across the summer. Like it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it all plays out. But PSA has been slowing down once again with the available tiers and they're doing a lot more events and a lot more in-person grading and a lot more specials like opening up these economy lotteries. And uh, so I think that might be part of it, but now they're just opening the doors to economy for all these collectors um, who are signed up for their membership. And uh, a lot of middlemen are using that. So there's going to be another flood of cards coming in, probably already but, happening. So but with the middlemen, they're not using, uh, they're not getting, it's, what is it's probably, I mean, not getting a huge discount. No, and a lot of people are just using it like, hey, I'm a member, I'm, I'll grade your cards for you, just like yeah. $10, $10 extra a card. But, I mean, in reality, I mean, maybe that's good if you just have one or two cards, but, I mean, $100, I mean, you can make that on one decent grade. So, I mean, it's nothing if you got a decent order. Well, the, the reality is that's, that profit margin is still not enough for most Pokemon cards to be worth it, yeah. even at 50 bucks or, you know, per a per card. It's yeah. better than 100 obviously, but when most of your Pokemon cards are like in the less than $200 range, $300 range, 50 bucks is a huge percentage of for cost. So, yes, some people will, will decide to send certain cards, primarily your alternate arts, I would, I would think, to PSA. But this is, you'll, I think you'll see more sports benefit yeah. from this pricing tier still. And it's still, my guess personally is you'll see them lower up the lowest tier to everybody sometime in July or August. That's my, that's my personal guess. I think July because that's the start of quarter three. And I know, for example, I, think, I believe it was last year, they set out an outline for what they were going to do. PSA was for the third and fourth quarter. And I believe it's not, it sh won't, shouldn't be a surprise if by the end of July they will allow maybe a certain amount of quantity for a tier for everybody, for like the lower tier for everybody. Um, it's still going to be a slow process. And by the end of July, they should be down to around 1 million, I would think, based on their current trajectory. Uh, by early September, they should be done. So it makes sense that they're going to want a bunch of cards somewhere in the queue to, to keep them from, from, so they can continue the grading process. Yeah, they basically, like, if they got it down, they want to keep the backlog, from a business standpoint, stagnant. Like, keep it right around... You know, just above where they're, like, basically just above on a monthly basis, they want to keep it above what they're actually able to put out. So I'm sure behind the scenes they're looking at all those numbers. You know, if they can, you know, just to scale it down a bit, if someone can grade 100 cards in a month and that was the only person doing the grading, you would want there to be, like, a 105-ish card backlog at all times just to, you know, guarantee that rolling so they're probably planning it out, thinking like, okay, this, this backlog is really getting down, and they're probably looking for that lower inflection point of the backlog being at a decent level and then new cards coming in. So that's going to be the hard spot to, to you know, find. But they're really pushing the 90-day turnaround for the economy tier, so it makes me think... Yeah, well 
they're like super confident in the backlog and like a lot of the waiting now is like on middleman services side um because all the cards i went through psa now they have to sort just like psa did so yep we'll have to see how this all unfolds in the, in the coming weeks and months then yeah for sure we'll, we'll give you guys updates but I think it's going to slow things down. I just want to know if they can meet that 90-day mark consistently um, for multiple months. So we'll see about that. But uh, I guess with that, it's time to hop over to the main topic. So for the main topic, morality in Pokemon. Just going to kind of touch on a lot of stuff. Like we said, um, things have changed over the years in Pokemon. A lot more money has been evolved. A lot more shady people Still a lot of good people out there, but with everything, more people coming in, the more hype around it tends to get ruined a little bit. Um, it's not the sweet, innocent, fun, happy hobby that we once knew back in the day. But, uh, you know, you think about it, back on the playground, Pokemon cards were stolen all the time. So even back then... Fights. Yeah. A lot of fights. I remember that back in the day. That's almost a, its whole thing, how... The uh, unspoken rules of the playground. <laughs> yeah. So even back then, I mean, you saw bad stuff in Pokemon. Just, you know, yeah. with more people and the hype and the craze just really adds to it. So, uh, yeah, first off, we just want to kind of hit on the definitions and, you know, just kind of start to talk off on, like, what it is. So we'll start there. Yeah. So first with morality uh it's, we're going to open up with the definitions just like we did with with the part with addiction um with episode four so with morality it is defined as principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior and now ethics is a set of moral principles by a theory or a system of moral values and these principles of conduct could be guidelines set by governing an, of an individual or a group. And it doesn't necessarily have to be illegal for ethics. And most time, it isn't. So what are some principles from your experience that you can use to apply within the hobby? Uh, so... The main principle for me, I mean, it generally follows like, you know, do the right thing. But like I, you know, that's just kind of a blanket term. But I generally see myself as, you know, kind of decent person. You know, everyone likes to think of themselves that way. But I've been around a little while. I used to do YouTube back in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And, uh, man, it was just a totally different ball game back then. And uh, just some stories that I want to share with that, just to kind of give people the sense of how it was back in the day. But, I mean, basically, you would make these videos that would be like BCBMs or TCBMs, which would be buy cards by mail or trade cards by mail. And, like, that was the popular thing to do if you weren't opening like, people would make videos opening one to three packs every video. Like, it was considered a lot to open three packs in one video. <laughs> so it's just kind of kind of weird 
you know, seeing all the openings now and just how meaningless a lot of it means. But you were excited to pull a hollow back then, so you really didn't need a whole lot. But that's aside from the point. But the uh, the BCBMs and TCBMs are what I what I think about the most. And so if you had stuff for sale, there wasn't a whole lot of outlets to you know reach out to people in the hobby. I mean, you kinda had things like Reddit, but there wasn't much about like niche topics back then. Um, you had the Pokey Gym website, which was kind of the collecting hub back in the day for like more knowledge. But you just had so many people opening stuff, trading stuff off camera. It was it was really rare to be on YouTube at all. Um, but I would say there was, I mean, looking back, there was obviously way more than I knew about. But I remember there being about four or five big Pokemon channels being like around 40,000, 50,000. Those were like the biggest. And then there was uh, someone called Primetime Pokemon. Ryan was his name. He does make videos again now, but he's been around a long time. He was doing daily openings, daily videos. He had like 200,000 subscribers, which was just, or no, it was like 100,000. It was just insane back then. So you had a lot of these like key figures in the hobby, but the majority of people were under a thousand subscribers. Everyone kind of made videos like they do today, like of all ranges. And if you had cards for sale, you would just upload your binder. People would comment on your video like, hey, I'd like this. I'd like this. YouTube had more of like a private message thing back then where you could actually communicate in like private message and uh, you just work out a trade send each other's address whoever wanted to do the trade would send first or whoever was the bigger youtuber like i remember it got to a point where like if you had 50 or 100 subscribers you were like trusted in the tcbm bcbm area <laughs> so it's kind of funny just imagine sending your cards for a trade through the mail and the person gets it and then they send your cards to you for that trade. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a whole thing, but everybody knew each other cause it was small enough. And, uh, it's a really fun time. And when you got those cards back, you know, you uploaded a video like, Hey, I got these cards from lady K <laughs> that was someone I remember from back in the day. But, uh, so you, you would shout each other out. So it was kind of what you're seeing today of like people buying packs and getting the shout out. But uh, yeah, it was just a really peaceful and like trusting time. <laughs> well, some of that, you know, I feel like it's how social media has developed and how much social media has forced itself into our everyday lives. Yeah. And now, for, whether for good or bad, that's really up to you to decide. Back then, all the social media was a lot smaller in terms of overall use, but it trended younger. Mm -hmm. And that definitely had the overlap within the hobby trending younger. And the people that would be watching these videos on YouTube for Pokemon, there were some of the most passionate individuals. You know, fast forward 10 years and everybody watched YouTube. It's become basically its own thing. 
I'm just gonna. Some people like you, you pr- pretty much almost exclusively watch YouTube content, for, for example. Yeah, and you, you're, that's not unusual. And it's just interesting because you almost have this innocuous budding hobby, and it's you've almost seen social media and the hobby grow at the same time, and it's brought both the positives and negatives of that within the hobby. Yeah, with a lot of things back then, you know, which is pretty much across the board. I mean, it was all positive. Like you said, the the community was so small and it was so niche. Everyone doing it like there there was no money in Pokemon. I mean, like you'd you'd buy hollows from whatever set you wanted for two to three dollars for a mint copy like, you know, you could maybe buy a whole set for a hundred bucks like being like base set mint. I remember buying a base set, complete base set that was pretty minty for like 60 bucks. And so that was like my first big purchase, like when I got back in the hobby. But uh, yeah, the money and the the joy scale, like the teeter-totter was way more heavy on the joy side. Like people didn't care about money Gold stars were kind of like the upper end flashy stuff. So some people had gold star cards floating around. Some people had, you know, first edition Charizard floating around. But even other first edition cards weren't that that good. So, I mean, there was stuff floating around that were pretty pricey. But gold stars were the craze back then. So I don't remember ever doing a trade with like a super high-end item like that, but I remember doing many others that were, were pretty pretty pricey. Um, one in particular, which now, like once I got the money, I realized it was probably like some kid or something, but I actually got a booster box of Next Destinies that I opened, and I like recorded it on camera and everything, and I actually pulled one of the OG like Mewtwo EXs Mm. and it was right when like it was a set that EXs came back and it was like all the hype and it was I feel like Pokemon TCG as far as playing it like that was a huge surge in like people playing like I even played in a Kansas City tournament with a buddy that was actually part of the state championships so like it got me playing which i never have before so many people were like that i mean it it's just so hard to express what this set meant in like that time like it was a really cool card the me 2 ex was super powerful people were playing the game a lot more and uh bringing back the EXs, people were excited and just everything going for it it had the it had like full art EXs and full arts had only been a thing for like two or three sets before that. So, I mean, it was like a, a big a big point in Pokemon history. Uh, hence why Mewtwo EX is in celebrations. But I pulled that card. It was worth like 140 bucks at the time. Um, I opened that booster box on release week. So I kind of knew like playability-wise and availability-wise... The first two weeks, you basically want to get rid of everything and then buy it back. <laughs> now it's more like a month or two or even longer because so much product's getting open. But 
same rules applied back then. And I actually sold that through someone on my YouTube comments. And I can't even remember why or how they needed to send cash, but he literally sent me cash through the mail. (laughs) So I was like, okay, it's kind of weird, but you know, it was a new thing and it must've been like a, a little kid or something. Very well could have just taken that cash and see you later, straight cash in the mail. But, uh, sent them the card back. Everyone was happy. And that's just what you did back in the day. But there was so many of those situations like big trades or, you know, people would only like, they would become trusted or they could trade with their friends and become trusted and then work up a giant deal with someone. And then like, you know, when they sent the cards, they could just ghost them or delete their channel or do whatever. And then they're gone. So I'm sure a lot of that happened. Um, but for the most part, I mean, it was really a trusting system. And like you said, or yeah, like you said, it was just so small and everyone knew each other. So if, if I sent you some cards for a TCBM, I would record the video. So here's the cards for, for PBJ. Uh, they're going out today. And then when you're, I'm waiting on you to get them and make your video, but it never happens. You delete your channel. I make a video like, hey, uh, watch out for this guy. He he didn't send my cards back. And How then, common was that? Uh, It wasn't super common, but it, it happened. Like, you'd get people, and then when that caught on, you'd get people on the comment section, this guy's a scammer, don't trade him. Or you get videos where people calling each other out like, yeah, PB, I sent PBJ a TCBM, and he ghosted me. He didn't send cards back. Claims he didn't receive them. Don't trade him. And so, like, people who got respect in that system, you know, they would they would uh, put that out there, and you'd kind of be shunned from trading. Or you would be forced, if you had something like that said about you, you would be forced to send first. So... So that's kind of how you got around it. It's like, well, I heard you had a problem with so-and-so. You got to send first if you want this trade. <laughs> so that's how you would negotiate. And I, I think it's a, I was, I was going to say, I, I think it is important to realize that scammers have been involved in some ways through hobby or whatever since the dawn of time, pretty much. Since there's been some sort of civilization or barring system, it's scammers have, have been there. I, th- I think it's impossible not to encounter that within a certain market. Uh, and it's just, it, it really, it's how prevalent it is, is what really makes the key distinction, in my opinion, about the overall trust within the hobby. Yeah, and like, it's it goes back. I mean, for me, that's kind of what jump-started my collection and getting back into Pokemon. Like, is a is a scam or like a like thievery? <laughs> like back in grade school, all I had was like a handful of cards, like thirty cards maybe. I think I maybe mentioned this story before, but it's a story where I had like I remember a Neo. Genesis Lugia Hollow and Reverse Hollow Entei promo. For some reason, those are the only cards I remember. But I want to say there was a shiny Charizard in there somewhere. But I had a nice stack of cards that I was really proud of. They were in the front pocket of my backpack. And one day, coming home from school, check that pocket. 
and they were gone. And it was during a time where teachers were really cracking down on Pokemon cards, and I wasn't really supposed to have them, so I couldn't really say much. And so, yeah, it did never, never really resolved, but that fueled my want to get back into the hobby. And I remembered that stack of cards I had, and I'm like, I'm going to have a better collection than I did back then, which really wasn't much at all. But that's what fueled me to like get back into collecting and having a good collection. And uh, started way back in Legends Awakened, I think it was. Me and a buddy bought a booster box. That was the first set where I've like actually bought a booster box. But I had started a three-ring binder, clear Ultra Pro page binder. Just started collecting and starting to build up the collection more and more ever since that moment. you have any uh, examples of stuff over the years with you? or? Yeah, um, so how far are we wanting to go back here to, to, the, to the dawn of my memories within the hobby? <laughs> yeah, what well, was your first like bad experience or something like that? Okay, so the first one I can really think about back whenever I was about eight years old was there was there was two of them. One of them, I, I guess you could say I was the aggressor. I, I was eight years old, and there was this kid. I knew he wasn't the brightest tool in the shed. And there was one card I was missing, one hollow I was really missing um, within within the set in particular. And it was the Wigglytuff. And he had the Wigglytuff. And what I traded to him was, was it the Jungle Pikachu or was it the base set one? I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of those Pikachus that weren't rare. Yeah. And he just wanted the Pikachu. And I, I knew it, and I just I sold him on it. I didn't know at the time, but I was basically pulling a Saul Goodman, you know, little eight-year-old me just... And I've seen what this he could. This so good. He's, he's the mascot. Look at him. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, actually, a little bit after, like, we were waiting to go back to class. You know, I don't know, you might remember the recess. You had to line up, make sure everybody was there, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I made the trade. And shortly thereafter, people, as they're walking to class, I imagine other people were starting to tell me, you just got gypped, man. You just got gypped. You just got gypped. <laughs> and... Now, 20 minutes later, his teacher, this was in third grade, now 20 minutes later, his teacher came to, to our classroom and was like, Philip, we got to <laughs> give that card back. Literally, a teacher came wow. to make sure, yeah, yeah, straight up, make sure he got the his card back because everybody, because he realized he just got screwed over. And I was just like, you know, just trying to be as quiet as possible as we were going back. And I obviously I didn't really have a choice. I I had to give it back. And the next day you heard oh, over the intercom cards were banned from school. <laughs> now, I obviously was not the only one that was causing issues. I mean, obviously there was more, but I always thought that was funny. I was like the. The final nail in the coffin was me screwing over this this, this guy to, so I, I can complete my set, and uh, I always I always just found that really amusing. That was my first one. However, fast forward a couple years later, and this isn't Pokemon. This is Yu-Gi-Oh. I would bring my uh, cards to school, and it, I, I would play with, with a few people. Well, 
the student teacher uh, that was there for a semester, whatever it was, she confiscated my cards. And I was furious because I knew they were going to get stolen. I knew. Yeah. And because she had no locks on her uh, on her drawer or on, on her desk. And I was giving her hell then. And what happens when I get it a few days later? They're all gone. <laughs> oh, I, I made, like, I was a little bit of a problem child during then. Like, I, <laughs> I got straight A's, but, like, I... I guess in some ways I was too smart for my own good because I, I talked to the, to the teachers as if I was like an adult in a lot of ways. And a lot of things they would say, I would see right through and why they were doing it. And I was like, okay. And I basically straight up in the middle of the whole classroom, call them out. On it. Just trying to get <laughs> and, those uh, good deals, man. Yeah. And uh, no, and I, I, I just knew they would get stolen. And, and I can't tell you how many secret rares I had for Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I would, I would never got back and I, I I was just furious and I was an unruly student because of that. So I've had, so as a kid, I definitely had both ends of the spectrum there. Um, yeah. But now as, as an adult, I obviously, you know, as, as you grow and you mature, you start to be defined by your set of moral principles that you choose to walk. And I believe, I believe personally that I am, a good person, and I walk a pretty straight path. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of scenarios that I've experienced since I came back into the hobby where I can't just rip somebody off. Obviously, you know, there's a difference between a really good deal and ripping somebody off. Yeah. And I mean, there's I have I have several stories. One is uh, there's this mom and pop shop that I've mentioned a, a few times. Where she's a little old lady. When I went down there during the the fall of 2020 hype, she had things priced that were really, really off. Some of the cards I didn't recognize. I didn't know what they were. So I I just bought a lot of stuff. But there were some cards that I knew I was getting a good deal on. I just didn't realize how good of a deal I had yeah. until after the fact. But then once I found out, like, I, I think I sent you, like, how many photos? Because I w still wasn't familiar with all the sets and the, the history. Yeah, and that's, like, right just, when you started, you were trying to find stuff. Yeah, and I, I was just trying to, I bought all the cards that I liked that I thought might be worth something. And I made, after seeing a good portion of those off, I made quite a good portion of money. Um, like, several thousand dollars from those cards. So when I went back there, it was about 12 months after the fact. I, like, she, she had her cards overpriced still because she really wasn't quite still knowledgeable on, on the subject. But she had gotten a little bit better. And she was basically like, name your price. So I could have said anything I wanted to get the cards that I, I was after. But instead, I went on TCG Player, and I typed in the card, and I'm like, this is about the condition, and this is what I'll, I, will, I will pay for it. And I, I told her exactly the sites to use if you're trying to gauge the price for your cards. And I was just completely honest with her, and she, I mean, I basically bought the cards for TCG Player prices. So you can argue I actually overpaid because I played, I paid TCG Player prices but 
I felt it was the right thing to do after learning how much that I was able to buy the cards that she had in the binder a year ago. But again, I, I wasn't aware of how much those cards were worth at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought, honestly, some of the cards I was overpaying because I thought the condition was garbage. I thought I actually overpaid because of the condition. But it turns out I'm a little bit too much of a perfectionist when it came to grading, and a few of them were actually near mint grades. And I got really lucky. Uh, but yeah, I was just complete, completely honest with her. But she told me when I, I was down there, there was another person that was not as honest with her. This individual took cards from the, from the binder because she allowed anybody to just have it, and you can be pretty much anywhere in the store. Now, this is a very small store, but you can be pretty much anywhere, and you could have gone through it. And that means where her eyes aren't where you can see her. And this individual just pocketed a bunch of cards, and then he later he later bragged about it. To I mean, you know, this this is a small town, and you're bragging about it to other people in another small town. I mean, word's gonna get back. So word did get back, and I mean, I, I don't I don't know how the whole story fell out, but I know he's banned from the store and all that. Yeah. But that's another situation right there. You have individuals that are just trying to have anything to benefit them. They, they don't care about what's the right thing to do. It's just how can they benefit from it so where they can get what they want. They, they can have their way without thinking about the without thinking of the empathy towards the other person. Yeah, just trying to, and like, you know, a lot of that happens when people feel behind and they're trying to catch up or build their collections. And, you know, back in the day, around the same time I was making those YouTube videos, you could go online and find someone selling an entire stack of good stuff for like 50 bucks. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to price out each of these cards. It's like, I don't want these anymore. 50 bucks is what I'm happy with. And uh, I even remember going to stores, and, like, stores didn't even know much. Like, V-Stock, I don't know how many people are familiar with V-Stock. Um, but there was a V-Stock in St. Louis, one of the malls up there. I actually went in there, and they had a Gold Star Charizard, two of them, actually, for 40 bucks each. When was this? Uh... It was, I want to say, like twenty eleven ish. Okay, so it was it was a while back. I was like, was this just five years ago? <laughs> no, yeah, it was two thousand eleven at least. It may have been a little earlier than that, but a lot had a lot of activity around two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve for the hobby. So I want to say somewhere in there, like that's when I was really like knowledgeable again and building stuff up, and I was chasing gold stars. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing two of them. They were both pretty minty for like 40 bucks each. And I was like, oh my God. Like at the time they were selling for $90 each on eBay, like for a mint copy. So I was like, oh my God, I could, I could buy both of these and keep one and, and basically come out even like that was the thought back then. You didn't think of how much money you could potentially make holding on to it. You thought about like spending the money because you weren't expecting to get the money back. Like whatever money you put in, you were like, okay, I'm putting this in for me. No one else cares about this card. That's how much I want to spend for the card. Whereas like nowadays, you know, if you could get a card that's selling for a thousand for like 900, 
like whether you want it or not, you're like, Ooh, I could, I could sell that. I could hang on to it and make a little more money. It's a lot more flexible. But yeah, that was my thought then was like, Oh my God, I can, I can buy this, sell one immediately and basically be even. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so in that situation, being a more retail store, like a business, like, you know, a lot of times those stores like that are like hobby stores, resale stores or collector stores. They have to sell at that. You know, they probably got that at a collection for even cheaper and they're just putting it up there to make a profit on it and they got to move stuff. They can't just sit on stuff. So if I'm ever in a situation like that, like I don't, I don't mind like getting the steel but if it's more of a like a personal store like the one you're describing, then yeah, like that more like human factor comes into play. Like, is the person working the actual owner of the store? And like, whereas like V Stock, it's just like employees who are just there, you know. So that's kind of where I weigh situations like that out. If it's more of a local business or a bigger business or even a corporate side. Um, if it's a big YouTube seller or Instagram seller or eBay seller versus a small, but, uh, usually the smaller eBay sellers are out there to make better deals cause they just want to get rid of it. And a lot of times I'll actually look at their other items. If it's someone who like sells tennis shoes and they have one Pokemon card listing, then, you know, it's like, they don't really, they might not care, but if it's someone selling Pokemon cards for a living, they're, they're not likely to cut you those deals because they are more knowledgeable about it. So I actually have a really, really good story. Um, but you can, you can say what you're going to say real quick. Oh, I was just going to say, there's also been situations, um, where it's been between just another collector or person or basically an, an individual's childhood collection, uh, people that they were more of acquaintances through, through Facebook. And again, the guy was like pretty much name your price. And this was during the hype. And I could have said anything. I could have said a hundred bucks. I mean, there's, there was like one beat up Charizard and there was a few of the starters, but I was, I paid him the prices before the hype approximately what they were worth before the hype and i felt it was a fair deal and he was overjoyed because it was a lot more than he thought he was going to get so that was a situation where again you could have pretty much said whatever you wanted and he would have believed it he would have taken my word for it but i knew that was not the right thing to do and so obviously i didn't jip him there's just certain points certain moments where you just have to ask yourself, would you want to be treated like this? And I think that that's the easiest way of going about inter interacting when you are faced with those situations. Yeah. Knowing what is the right thing to do and what you should do, not things you're trying to do to make a profit. Selling a little bit of your soul to make the extra little, little bit of money. I, I, I just think it's you just have to set your, 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 your boundaries. Yeah. Well, I have, I don't know how I forgot about this story until now, but reminiscing on old Pokemon stories, this actually involves a first edition Charizard. 
And, uh, yeah. <laughs> this might be the most relevant to this entire thing. Um, so, the year was probably also 2011, 2012. And then I have this whole story on my Instagram, if anyone has seen it. But it, it's quite a ways back. And I post it on E4 as well. But, uh kind of a situation where I got extremely lucky, but also morally questionable, depending on what I would respond with. But so I'm searching eBay. I'm, uh, I get a, I get a hunch to like, just buy base set Charizards. So there was about a year period where I would just buy base set Charizards in decent condition. You could get them for 20 or 30 bucks like all day mint on eBay. Um, I would search for the cheapest listed, just look for people who had good ones and just buy those up. And uh, I felt comfortable holding a Charizard for like 15 to 20 bucks when they were 20 to 25 all day. And I actually had a friend, uh, Trollizard. I don't know if he's ever listened or done anything on the YouTube side of things in a while, but he had, and maybe still has the best Charizard collection that I've ever seen in my life. And this video he uploaded in like those days, 2010, 2011, I'll have to find that, but it's an entire ultra pro 360 binder like every card in there is a Charizard and like over half of it is base set Charizards and they are all mint. And he has is it unlimited or shadowless or first edition, mostly unlimited, but he had multiple pages of first edition, every language, first edition mm. shadowless. He had multiple sky Ridge Charizards, all the sky Ridge languages. It was ridiculous. Trust me. <laughs> And I still think I caught up with him in 2016 when I actually sold my stack of Charizards to him. And uh, so that's what I was getting at. He inspired me to like go on this one year thing of like collecting Charizards. And then in 2016, when prices got a little crazy with Pokemon Go, I saw that as an opportunity to like sell those. So I sold like 25 to 30 base set Charizards. I just put him up on eBay and turns out he was the buyer. He messaged me like, Hey, long time. No see. And it was kind of a, a weird connection thing. And I was like, Holy cow, you're still buying them. But <laughs> this guy, I mean, he, he was just something else. He was, he was a funny dude and he, uh, he operates a popular Facebook page now, or he did up until a couple years ago, maybe. But I got all these Charizards. I was on eBay one day and found this Charizard for, I want to say, $17 or something. I have the printout of the eBay listing because it was kind of so crazy at the time. So I bought it, waited about a week or two, and card never came. So I reached out to the person. It was like pulling teeth to communicate with this person. They said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll check it out here soon. Another week went by. Nothing came. Messaged them again. And uh, so someone gets back to me like, hey, it was, so, it was my brother's card. 
he he's actually out, but we're working out something to to get the card to you, you know, whatever. It was it was a really weird situation. Like someone else was messaging him on his eBay, or like what was going on with that? I don't know. So the next week, a card comes in, and it's a Charizard, but it's a first edition base set Charizard that shows up, and. The listing pictures, the price, and everything reflected a base set Charizard, but it was definitely a first edition. And at the time, they were going for about 100 to 125. And uh, so, yeah, that that was a situation. I was, I like, I think I opened that on camera too on my old YouTube channel. But it was a it was a moment where you know I had to I had to think. On the one hand, it was a really weird situation with eBay and messaging this person. Um, you know, I could have just taken that and been happy. There was, like, no tracking on it or anything. There wasn't much, like, tracking or anything back in the day. So they very well could have, like, canceled it maybe. I, I can't remember what the policy was back then. Um, so essentially, I, I gave it a day. And I'm like, well, like, I really need to, like, message this person. And so I did. I messaged them. I was like, hey... Did you mean to send a unlimited Charizard? Because I, I got a first edition Charizard in your package. And literally, like a whole nother week went by. And someone messaged me from the account, whether it was the person or the other person. They're like, that was the Charizard we had. Um, that's the one we meant to sell. And like said something else. Basically, that was that. Like, yeah, that's the one we, we sold. That's the only Charizard. So I think it was someone who didn't didn't know the difference or the the value difference there and uh, I even included in my first message like you know hey this is first edition which might be quite a bit more than the unlimited like was this the Charizard you meant to send and so yeah they responded back with that and that's that's basically it um, so I actually gained quite a bit on that interaction I got super lucky um, I knew I wouldn't have felt good about it unless I reached out. So I'm really glad I reached out. Um, A, because they didn't care, but B, because, you know, it makes, it just makes you feel better doing the right thing. And maybe that was uh, some positive karma coming my way, but that card uh, ended up grading an 8.5 at PSA and uh, ended up selling that way too early for about 500 bucks. <laughs> so yep. yeah that was uh some some good karma maybe but uh wish i would have kept it maybe that was the maybe that was a neutral karma <laughs> they're like well you did the right thing but can't get that lucky you gotta sell it in 2016 so interesting whirlwind of events there but uh yeah that's how i got my first first edition charizard for Seventeen dollars, pretty crazy. Uh, this isn't me personally. This is of a friend, um, and when he told me this, I was actually in awe. Essentially, what occurred was he developed this connection with instant with an Instagram seller, a very popular Instagram seller. He's from California, but um. He 
through this line of communication, the seller offered him his first edition Lugia for about $3,000. Now, this seller isn't, doesn't dabble in graded cards at all. He sells raw, and when he buys for his collection, it's raw. So, he offered him this near-mint first edition Lugia for $3,000. And my friend in question said, no, I can't do that. Because you should get it graded. Because if it does grade high, it's going to be worth a lot of money. So, the individual in question sent it off to PSA. And guess what that card came back as? Come back as a 10? It sure did. A PSA 10 first edition Lugia. And this was about six months ago that this interaction Was this a a store or someone he knew? Uh, As I said, it was somebody through Instagram. Like He developed this connection through this Instagram seller just by talking to him. And he bought a lot of cards and he sold his bulk to him. His uh, whole bulk, it was like... Six or seven thousand cards of base to EX era, uh, like team rocket returns and all that. So it was a lot. So, yeah, it was, yeah, Sky Ridge, it had all the big ones, as you can imagine. And I forget what he sold, it was for a few thousand dollars. But, anyways, he continued this communication through him because he followed his Instagram page. He saw what it was selling for. He was just really, really, really curious to keep tabs with how much he was making money off it. And I don't know the exact amount he, he made off it, but he did make a decent money um, from buying the bulk. Yeah. And through this line of communication, he was just trying to... I'm not sure what the intention was for the Lugia. I think it was because of my friend in question was trying to buy Neo during this time frame. Like, he was... He has a good portion of Watsi, and he was on Neo, and I believe that's how the conversation came up. And when he offered it, you know, I, I'm sure he he wanted to pull the trigger on it, but he was like, "No, that's in too good of condition. You need to send it off to PSA." Now, I I don't I don't believe the in, individual sold it yet. Uh, he just kept it in his collection at at, the, at, at that point. Mm-hmm. But that but that is a situation where you're looking at. I mean, you're looking at. You can probably tell through through good photos that it was a minimum of nine, right? Mm-hmm. So you're already knowing there you, you can make thousands of dollars in profit just right there. And that was the one of the main reasons why he said no, because he knew he was going to pull one o- over on him. And this isn't like the deal you had, like a hundred dollar difference. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars in difference. We're talking life changing money difference. Yeah. Enough to where I know there's some people within this hobby nowadays that wouldn't think twice about doing that, pulling the trigger on that card. And I mean, they would never speak to him again, obviously. Yeah, ghost him and be done. And- yep. Thank and you. they would, yep, and they wouldn't talk about the story unless it's other friends that are selling within the hobby. It's something they would keep to themselves. Maybe they'll brag about their friends that aren't involved in the hobby, like, 
I I just flipped this major deal. I'm flipping YOLO, bling bling, you know. Um, and that's probably that's probably the thought process some individuals have when they're flipping and trying to make a, a, a quick buck. But th- but that's a situation where you're not talking about nickel and dimes. Again, you're talking about life changing money, and that's a situation where the your moral principles really come into focus there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think everybody it's a little different because some people, what if somebody, you know, some people might have more of a defense when it's like you know they're barely getting by, and they they might see that as an escape. So where do you draw the line? Is it strictly the right thing to do, or say what if this situation happened with an individual? Who could have used that life-changing money? Yeah. It's it's really you know it, it's really difficult because when you're talking about you're just trying to survive and you see that from a survivalist standpoint, I think it it can be understood. Now the thing is, chances are, if you get into that sort of conversation, it probably isn't somebody that's getting by paycheck to paycheck that's going to be buying this card. It's going to be somebody of affluence. So it's somebody that has is clearly, knowingly, trying to essentially scam somebody mm-hmm. in some ways. You're trying to take advantage of somebody's impatience, lack of knowledge, whatever. And yeah. I, think that's some, I think that's something you have, even before the, the cards were written, each in this price. This is something that I think is more ingrained into human nature in some ways. I'm not saying it's human nature to do the wrong thing. It's just sometimes greed and selfishness can reign supreme, even amongst people that aren't necessarily bad individuals. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's really up to you as a collector, as a buyer, a seller, or whatever to use your own moral principles and just do what you think is right. Because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Yeah, and if you're a shitty person, I mean, that's going to reflect on you. Like, people aren't yeah. going to like dealing with you. Your following won't get that big or you'll be you'll be shunned. And so I feel like now for people who put themselves out there, it's, it's kind of easy to navigate that if you know a little bit. Um, the... The main area that you got to worry about is like people that, you know, don't really have a following or just are trying to make quick bucks, haven't been in the hobby long. But I mean, for the most part, I feel like they're always interacting with someone a little more knowledgeable from what I can see. But where you run into the biggest problems is where you have like two people like that someone brand new trying to gain a lot in the hobby they don't really like they weren't in the hobby before 2020 um at all like they're just in it for the wrong reasons you have no like real connection and then they come across someone who like just found their collection and they just happen to to jump on it first trying to take advantage of them you know so there's always that situation going there but yeah, it's it's just a hard one to to navigate for sure. And like, you know, I had a lot of those deals early on, but 
I mean, people generally didn't care and like the money wasn't that big to where, you know, you were maybe getting a hundred dollar stack of cards for $50. Like nobody really cared. They just wanted to get rid of them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, a weird, weird change in different times when all the money flows into something like this. But. And it's very interesting kind of using your stories from more in the early stages within the hobby. And in a lot of ways, you can see our generation that has been passionate about Pokemon since its inception. You're seeing it in a lot of ways grow before your eyes as our generation accumulates more wealth and has more buying power that will translate within the hobby. And it's inevitable with more money more problems. Yeah. More <laughs> but, uh, more problems. Exactly. <laughs> but um, but I, I think that's a natural growth and evolution within the hobby. I, I don't think more money being involved is, is necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Now, you know, it, you know, it kind of changes within the hobby because then if you take a look at sports, it's a whole other ball game there. And that's where it does start to look pretty shady in a lot of ways. And over there, you have people like faking cards, like trimming cards and getting them graded. And, you know, Pokemon's heading there eventually. But it's just been around a lot longer. So, yeah, just more people, more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, but again, what's some I don't other think modern it, stuff you've seen? Oh, modern um, cards for sports, you mean? Well, like modern problems or like modern morality issues that the hype okay. has brought on or something. Like what so, are some you've seen? This was a personal experience. This was February of 2021. Hidden Fates just got a reprint. Um, this was, I think it been around that same. This might have been about a week before the ice storm, but uh, that went over the Midwest. But it was still, this was also during the period where it was still really, really cold. Like that two weeks where it was like maybe 20 or something like that. It was just ridiculous. Anyways, this was in February. Uh, Hidden Face was just, just got a reprint or a restock. And I, I can't recall which exactly. But anyways, the ETBs were going back on the shelves. And I was at this Walmart. And about the time that I thought, it was like 30 minutes before I thought they would they'd pop up there. And so I show up there, and what do I see? There's already several people that are there. <laughs> waiting. Already there waiting. Out. Yeah. So there was several people there. One was some sort of, I don't know if he was a distributor of some sort, but not like a car distributor, but I could tell he, he was, he just looked like somebody that was there just trying to flip. And it looked like it was more for sports, but this was during the time frame where the the profit margins on Hidden Fates and other items was drawing in these fringe buyers that were trying to make money off sports. Yeah, just buy and everything I, and sell yeah, it. Yeah, I kind of knew that. He left after about 15 minutes, but there was this other guy. He was younger than me, college age, I would say, and he was like, I'm here first. I've been here the longest. I'm getting the most. I don't care. I was like, all right, guy. Um, and it got to the point where it was just me and him. And I was like, okay, I, I can split it with you. And But he was still trying to do like four and two. But in my mind, I'm like, no, that's, that, 
that's not happening because we knew there's going to be six boxes. Yeah. And we we're like, in my mind, I was just kind of letting him talk. Like I wasn't going to show my hand at all, obviously. But I'm like, I also wasn't going to stoop to his level, and I wasn't going to cause a scene. I'm, a, I was a 30 year old man. I'm not causing a scene over Pokemon cards. This isn't, this isn't the schoolyard anymore. Okay. Yeah, you're just there to <laughs> split it. Yeah, and and there, so he's. So he's talking, and then in comes the distributor. And then at this other person, or at this time, a third person comes in. Just as perfect timing with, with the distributor. Perfect timing whatsoever. And so this other guy was like, whoo, whoo, like he was trying to like, he, he was in the trenches or something, like for, for, for football. He was, just like, he was just trying to make sure he was the one in the center ducking out everybody else. I, again, I was like, I'm not going to suit to his level. It's Pokemon cards. I'm keeping my, my cool. And so he, he got his majority like he was one. And this third guy, I was trying to get my hands in there as well. And this other guy, I had one right there on my hand. And I, was, I had my other hand on another. And this third guy in question that came at the last second pulled the Hidden Fates ETB from my hands. God. From my hands. <laughs> and... I, I kind of let out like a, I it was inaudible I think, but it was almost like a a, a, a low audible growl, <laughs> like like jingle, I, jingle all the way vibes. Yeah, I because I, <laughs> there's no way around the situation and what was going on, and I just let out a deep breath, and I'm like, do not cause a scene, do not cause a scene, do not cause a scene, and I I didn't. And I just bought my my one box of Hidden Face ETBs, and I was there first. But you know, that's not how the world works. Just because you're first doesn't mean you're always going to be able to get get what you want. Yeah. But that was actually the decide. That was like the final straw, the final deciding factor, actually, of me going to Japanese cards. Yeah, that that just I, was too much yeah. and crazy high. And, I mean. Battle styles was the other. It was like, like one A and one B, but with like the the quality control, the disastrous quality control on battle styles, where I was just like, okay, I'm going to a Japanese product. And honestly, it's it's both. Obviously, m most collectors do both. I, I feel like, and I just preferred the opening experience with the, with the, with the Japanese product. And yeah, I. I you can say in some ways that was actually, I mean, I guess you can say with the path that it set me on, it actually was best for me within the hobby and as as a collector. But still, at the time, at the moment, it was very frustrating because that was the only Hidden Fates ETB I, I ever bought because I, I refused to pay scalper prices. I mean, that, that that's a whole other thing as well that we even haven't touched on. But, you know, at a certain point, it's up to the customer, the buyer to make that decision are they willing to pay for it or not and i wasn't willing to pay two 250 whatever it was at the time for a hidden face etb it was like 10 pack or 250 bucks no yeah like this, this is this is a modern set it shouldn't be it's msrp for like 60 bucks i shouldn't be having to pay four four times the amount and i i, I refuse to do so uh fortunately though i did have a like my uh, stepdad he works part-time for uh, target he's he was retired he was able to pull some strings with the distributor and i was able to get a few more ETBs, uh, so that was pretty nice. Um, yeah. Now, I do also 
have another experience with another friend, and we were at a card shop. I was buying up uh, what I, I was missing from my non-Hollow Neos. I was finishing up Neo Destiny and just various stragglers I had from Genesis, Revelation, Discovery, all that. And out of the corner of my eye, and like out of like, you know, I was kind of paying attention to the surroundings around me. And he, my friend, was going through the Sky Ridge. And there was like a $1 bin for Sky Ridge for some of the cards. It was just like a flat $1. And he's very knowledgeable on Watsy. And he, he was going through, and he was, it was, one of the, it was one of the rares. I'm not sure which one it was, but it was two or three of them. And they're like, dude, you realize these are like 40 to 50 bucks? Yeah. And yeah, he, he pulled them out of the, uh, of, of the bin of like the case. They had each case, like almost like in a shoebox with cards, and, like dividers. And he pulled them out. And this guy that was up front, like he went to the, to the back to, to the guy that whoever was the manager on duty or, or whatever. And they're like, Oh, 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 <laughs> okay thanks yeah uh because you they i mean they would have i don't know what, what what they bought it for but i mean they just saved them like several hundred bucks yeah yeah a lot of that stuff i mean very a lot of the stories we shared very hard to replicate today um but I mean, you'll see them every once in a while if you're just looking around. I feel like card shows are a good spot to find stuff like that. Um, but, you know, most people are knowledgeable at card shows. Um, but, I mean, the only other thing we didn't touch base on is, like, the, the streamers or the breakers and all that, you know. Well, there's, there's I would say, there is one other thing um, as well. Uh, some of the e- eBay sellers... Uh, not exclusive to some of the Japanese sellers. But even during this hype, you had people that were basically scalpers with a storefront, getting prices from the distributor and selling for the secondary market price at the time just to make as much money as possible. Yeah, And... I want to discuss one of the Japanese sellers in question that there's been a lot because of this, as this line of communication in the world shortens or becomes smaller and it becomes easier to sell across the globe, it attracts more people. And in the Japanese case, MSRP, their boxes, I mean, for cost, are probably getting, what, $25 a box for, for cost. The distributors are to sell to the, to the vendors they're selling there. Their boxes around forty-five dollars or so, forty-five to fifty bucks with tax. Well, obviously, on eBay, you're not finding most sets for that price. You can find some lesser quality sets, sets that really don't care about. You can find them for like sixty, seventy bucks. So not terrible considering it's coming from across the world. But then you have sets like EV Heroes and Dream League and Tag Team All or GX sets that were still available during the hype session, but you had people from Japan that were starting to pop up and sell them for four or five times at MSRP. Mm-hmm. And in one situation, I took a chance on a low rated seller. I haven't, I was like, I'm, I'm on eBay. It's all good. It was free. 
EV hero boxes. Like usually, I don't mess with a seller below 100 ratings with about 100 percent feedback. I usually don't mess with anything below that, especially with Japanese sellers, ones that where some a lot of times the communication is very difficult on eBay. And so I bought it. It was like four boxes, and it'd be like four fifty or whatever, like or something like that. And I think it was two days or a few days after that, I noticed that the account disappeared. Like it was like a uh, deleted account or something like that. Yeah. And I sent them, I was able to send them a message. So they still had like a line of communication. And basically what he said was I didn't have enough money in his bank. He didn't have enough money in his bank account for the, for the end of the month fees for eBay. And eBay shut down his account. And then he asked me, please don't ask, please don't want a refund. I can still get you these items. I can still get these to you. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Just yeah. uh, go, go ahead and, get, and give me a refund. It took the whole process ended up taking like two or three weeks. Because with the way eBay eBay works and just the, how long the, the process to actually get back into your account. And I was, I was a little bit concerned, a little worried mm-hmm. because it was about a nearly a $500 transaction. And I usually don't have, like I only have a few transactions, 500 or more in a year. So this was a pretty big transaction. And I was a little concerned. It's the first time I've ever had to deal with this issue. But I go through now when I'm looking through Japanese product, I, don't buy as much seal product as I as I used to, but you just kind of stroll through, and there's a lot of eBay sellers now from from Japan that are in that like 100 tier, like 100 um, reviews, maybe 100% rating. There are a lot that have popped up in the last year and a half two years, but a lot of that is also this bridge between for this English collectors have more interest for the Japanese product, because a lot of collectors are realizing that overall it's just better just to collect in Japanese. Not always, like, mm-hmm. but they realize that the, the quality is there, so that 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 market niche has been met. That the demand that was there has been met by some of these sellers. But sometimes, in this wild wild west of everybody trying to get in at once, you have a lot of fringe and questionable individuals trying to get make as much money as, as possible as quickly because they can. Yeah. And in general, like that's what it is. Like Japan for the longest time has kind of been uh, not ignorant of the fact, but just kind of negligent and like didn't really care about the fact of how crazy Pokemon was over here. Um, You know, they're very centralized in what they want, their own collections and doing their own thing which that shows between like Japanese promos versus English promos. Like they know their audience in Japan so well, they get the print quantity right. A lot of the times there's not a oversurge in demand versus a supply. Usually they can just print it once and be done with it. Or at least they could before 2020. But now there's a shift. Like people in Japan are doing the same things that people are doing here. And that's something we've only really seen since 2020. We've seen it kind of trickle in since 2016, and you can still find good deals online. But, I mean, this behavior is uh, pretty much everywhere now, so that's something you got to look out for. And uh, I don't know what it is about Japan sellers on eBay, but 
that's something I want to touch on because I had a similar situation twice now. I uh, was in the market for a 20th anniversary Festa Pikachu, which is like two to 3K card range raw for a nice copy. I actually finally pulled the trigger on one, and then I had kind of a similar situation. They messaged me like, which they didn't say they could replace it, but it was like, hey, sorry, turns out we were um, out of stock on the card. You know, we checked our other warehouse, and yeah, we're just out. So it's like they weren't selling the card that was on eBay. They were just selling a version of that card. So there's this weird thing going on now where... You really got to be sure that the card pictured on the eBay listing is the actual card you get. There's this weird trend, and I don't know why this is. I haven't really looked into it. I just kind of avoid it at all costs. But there's this weird trend where, like, a big Japanese company will either have, like, their main eBay and, like, a bunch of other eBays. So, like, they might have one card available, but they have three eBay accounts and like a similar card is listed and if you buy on one of the smaller accounts like they'll send you a message like oh sorry it's not available but i can give you a refund or i have this other card that's equal as quality and usually with ebay you know it's just very straight like i bought this card give me that card no shadiness going on with the deal because you just never know with ebay refund you know, they could say like, oh, well, you accepted this other card knowing that it wasn't the card you bought. So screw you. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is, but every once in a while I'll take a chance because the price is just too good. And a lot of times it's like closer to the lowest available on eBay. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll take a chance because uh, that's exactly what I did with the beauty looking back Pikachu here recently. I, I bought it. It was a pretty good deal. I got that, the Cramorant that came with the stamp box as well, and another promo that I wanted, and I basically got the extra promo for free. It was like 10 to $20 cheaper than the next most expensive. And, uh, yeah, immediately, like, within 30 minutes, they send me a message, hey, sorry, I just want to apologize. We we ran out of that card. However, we have this this other this other card that's not the one pictured but the same quality would you like that and you know i don't know what is going on with those but i just say no just give me the refund thank you and uh you know it ended up they gave me the refund pretty quickly within within the day but it's just it's just some weird stuff i don't know if that's really morally trying to cheat the system in some way but i just notice it a lot with japanese sellers and a lot of times you know i kind of give them a chance because they might have some good feedback but it's usually like 30 to 50 feedback and a lot of that is being a buyer so you gotta look out for that so always you all yeah and it's like you always got to look at the overall reviews that is that is very important not just yeah. The overall with like being 100 but you got to look to see as a buyer or seller if it is all of them as, as a buyer a lot of times when i would get offers on something i will always look at the buyer to see if it's legit or not because very early on whenever i began selling i was hit with a uh with a scam attempt um they were trying to buy it off off ebay 
I had like three a three year Arcadium or something like that. So yeah, my it was very very new, and they, they the bots or whatever whatever this is whatever the scam was, they're just trying to see if they can catch somebody that's trying to build up their review. Is that that was one of the things in the email? Like I'll leave you a good review, a great review. Mm-hmm. So like they're trying to target these these new. Yep, up and coming sellers, ones that might not know how you should go about dealing with this interaction. It, it was obviously sketch. Like I was curious, so I entertained them a bit. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's uh, let's take this to my email, and they're like, so yeah, would you want to send this address? And I just laughed. <laughs> yeah, like send it to I, a I was a completely different address, and then yeah. they'll they'll show eBay like, hey, it it didn't deliver to me, so get give me my money back. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so important. Like a lot of people are unsure about when they're buying Japanese products or it just buying on eBay in general. Some because some people it can be a little overwhelming. But I mean, that's always a good way to look at it is see the reviews, buyer and seller. How many? Yeah. If there are if there are negative reviews, why are 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 they negative? Yeah, so you got to watch but, out for that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I guess with that we can. Uh... Go ahead and move on to the old questions. We'll have a couple questions in our game. And, uh, yeah, you ready to hop on over? Let's do it. All right. So for the question section, hmm, got a couple questions here. I think they're pretty different questions, if I remember yours right. Uh, but you want to go for it first or you want mine first? Uh, I'll go ahead and go first on this one. So this right. one, don't let the actual parameters of the question limit you. Um, but essentially, if someone offered to sell you, say, a first edition Charizard, or you came across one at a, um, say, a mom and pop shop, and you, you could tell it was real, and you could tell it was n- near mint. Would you buy it without saying anything, or would you let them know what they have? So this could be either a Charizard, or say they have like a near mint Charizard or a Quasi Gold Star, yeah. or something along those lines. Something where you knew it was a lot of money. Would you bother saying anything? I think I think I would, unless it was like. Like, if it was someone who truly didn't know what they had and it was, like, an individual, I'd probably, you know, I'd still get a good offer out of it for me because, you know, I don't want to, like, just make a little bit. But I'd, I'd give them a decent offer, probably, like, less if they would sell it on eBay. But basically, like, the lowest eBay auction minus the 10% minus maybe another 10% because they don't have to deal with that. You know, but if that, that'd be only for the individual because that's kind of how I do deals. Like if they're selling on eBay and I buy something off eBay, it's like the eBay price lowest sold and then minus 10%, especially if it's in person. Um, so yeah, maybe minus another 10% if they're just like ready to get rid of it quick and I'm not particularly like looking for that card. I just want to like guarantee like it's worth my time. You know, but, uh, yeah, if it was like a store or something, I don't really feel too bad unless it's like a, like a mom and pop shop, like you were talking about, 
if it's like uh like a v-stock like in my story like i i don't care it's almost like a kind of middle finger to the corporate guys who don't know what they're talking about like i'm just gonna capitalize on that as much as i can um because you know if they knew it was worth that much they they'd be pricing it higher than you could buy it online which is what i see a lot of times with these stores um you know they mark their stuff at, at the online price and you're like okay well you're not doing yourself any favors might as well buy it online but yeah, so it just kind of depends on the situation for me, I think. What about you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Um, I don't expect that ever to take place for a big store. Um, like the one story we had earlier that we discussed with a larger store having some misplaced product. With how big this car store was, I wouldn't have batted an eye. <laughs> I honestly would have just bump up bought it. Yeah. Um, now, because of the mom and pop store, because I do know she has razor thin margins and every customer that occurs that she has is important, I w- would have been honest with her, but still would try to get it like 60% of TCG player. Um, now, if it was an individual, I would straight up tell them, say if it was a gold star, or say if it was the Charizard, I'd be like, dude, no, you gotta send send that in. You have to. <laughs> uh, you you're you'd be losing a lot of money. And lest they all of a sudden be like, okay, I understand what it's worth, but they're still willing to give like fifty percent or like sixty percent of the value, and they're okay with that without knowing, say, the 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 grade even. Then at that point, we have a mutual understanding. And they are willing to part with it for that price. So there really isn't any issue. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I don't expect that to be ever occur with the first edition Charizard. But there are some other cards, say some promos, some Japanese promos maybe. Some cards that people won't recognize. Even some crystals from Skyridge. Um, those are some cards that you could probably get under the radar if it's a mom and pop store or something like that but at the end of the day it really just ma- matters about who i'm dealing with and what i would do basically if it's a person I- i'd be honest with them if it's a big store i want it at an eye i really want it yeah that's kind of a. I kind of actually had a deal like this with the sky ridge charizard at the end of the year last year um i had a loose charizard that was a three and I actually cracked it out for a binder a while ago. Um, then one of my buddies approached me and he was visiting for the holidays. Um, his sister-in-law and, uh, her husband had some Pokemon cards out there and then he, he sent me a picture and lo and behold, Sky Ridge Charizard sitting on the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, he used to collect, he actually did YouTube back in the day with me, um, way back when. So he kind of knows his stuff, but he just doesn't really do it much anymore. And he was just wondering if I'd be interested, and um, his, his, I guess, brother-in-law was thinking about selling it, and didn't know if he should grade or whatnot, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'd be, I'd be down to buy that. 
Um, it looked really good compared to my three, and it was I was kind of lucky. It just so happened to have a PSA three that was actually creased, and his was creased as well. But I mean, it was so much less than mine was. Like it looked really good, except for like just a minor crease on it. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why, but that one actually came back and got a four. Um, I, I was betting on like a five because I mean the crease is just so minuscule. But I, I told him like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say how much it would, it would get. I would think it'd be better than a three, but it's not going to be better than a six with the crease on it. So we were betting on like a, a four or five. Um, if we're stupid lucky, a six, but it got a four and we were about right. So what I did for him, he didn't want to, like it was kind of a headache, me middlemaning it, like him paying to grade it. And then I didn't want it to come back like a poor grade. Because he was pretty much going to sell it anyway. It was just a matter of should I grade it first or not. And I told him, you know, hey, I'd give you a thousand bucks for it. Um, and that's in, that ended up what we um, did in the end. But it was a price where it was below the PSA 3 price. But this was a raw card. And on top of that, you know, I'm doing the work of submitting it to PSA and all that stuff. And he just wanted to get rid of it. And I told him, you know, I'd be willing to grade it for you if you like pay all the grading costs. But he was like, well, I'll just sell it to you for that. So I feel like I gave him a, a fair deal. Um, don't even know what PSA fours go for right now. Let me actually see if I can find after the announcement here. of the sale it was kind of that that card was kind of going nuts i haven't really checked since but since the record psa 10 sale a few months back it was everybody was was just like bye 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 <laughs> yeah um and i did yeah, get I a good it. deal on it um yeah but he also wanted to get rid of it asap um not even seeing any fours here's a psa 3 for 1,158. So essentially $1,000 plus the $100 grading, I'd be making $50 on that. But instead of being a three, it's a four. So whatever the price difference is between a three and a four plus $50 is basically what I came out to be. So for someone who just like found it and was getting rid of it, like we both agreed that was a pretty fair price. But yeah, I could have. Like, we were almost talking, like, 700 or something like that. And I was like, well, I mean, I have this three, and I told him the whole story. And, you know, I told him, like, a three is, like, selling for more than that. And I know it's going to be a three minimum. So I at least wanted to get you, you know, up to the three price, which was around 1000 at that time. So, yeah. I, that was a situation, though, again, where I kind of knew the person or knew him through someone else. So that's a little different situation. Um, if a store had that for $1,000, I'd, I'd probably try to get him to come down a little bit with all the grading and whatnot. But, yeah, that just kind of reminded me of the uh, the the deal that I ran across. Um, but, yeah, 
I don't know what I would do outside of those situations, but I like to give everyone a, a fair deal, especially if I'm helping them out by getting rid of a car. They don't have to do all that work on eBay or whatnot. But uh, Yeah, those are where you can really get good deals right there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for, you ready for my question, I guess? Yep. So my question, I actually came across something on E4 that got me thinking about this. But now that we've been through the boom and kind of backed off the boom a little bit, maybe entering the bear market area, um, which I think we have been for a couple months now, have you it's been stay like that probably too? <laughs> yeah, for at least a couple of years, I think. It's gonna be a perfect buying opportunity. And that's kind of where this question stems from. So I see the next like year to two years or even three years, especially right now this summer, when it's all like kind of confusion and people don't know what to sell. Like I think it's gonna be perfect buyer's market. So relative to the hype, like how much would you see yourself spending on the hobby or how much more, or how much less do you see yourself spending on the hobby in this bear market? And the thing on E4 that got me uh, thinking about the question relates to how much eBay has sold, but I'll let you answer first. <laughs> so for me, the next couple months are going to be tricky because I have to pay out of pocket for the my wisdom teeth surgery that I mentioned earlier, and I'm moving, um, so that requires a lot of money up front to be able to move to a. I'm upgrading, um, so that is taking my responsibilities. And I was, a, I was a 1099 employee last year, so I had to pay uh, for taxes. So that that was all like in the last between now and the last month, basically. So that's a lot of money going out the door that I can't have towards Pokemon. So, and it's going to be like that probably till fall. But generally, I would say it's about an average of 200 to 300 a month average throughout the year. Yeah. Um, that, that That's what I would say is the average. Now, I don't know if I'm going to buy stuff gearing towards collection or things that I think in five years will do very well. So I'll be able to sell up because like that's kind of where I'm torn at between right now is thinking for mid, mid and or I guess short, mid and long term goals in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm hmm. So and like I'm not looking at like I, I mentioned before I'm not going to send to, to to PSA this year unless it's like an uh, express order or something, but my whole thing is buy cards cheap now, get them graded later, sell around five or six years. Hopefully, the market has recovered at that point, and use that to funnel towards other goals and be able to have this revenue to accomplish the cards that I want. That's kind of the plan. So I'm kind of gearing away a little bit towards my personal collection. I'm going cheaper. I'm basically going like behind your sets. I'm going to be buying, I'm going to be piecemealing it a little bit at a time. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it just depends on responsibilities for people. But for me, that's my current situation. Um, 
Now, because of that, I have to think more long term. Uh, but yeah, I would say it's around two to three hundred dollars a month currently. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, but like a different angle. Um, I'm still, I'm doing, like I said last episode, I'm kind of in a mood to like shave off the extra. And as I said there too, you know, over the course of months, I have my goals and then I have these things that I get itches for, like see good deals and I slowly pick up more and more. And then I hit a wall where I'm like, okay, this isn't really in my end goal focus so I need to sell it (laughs) so I'm kind of in that mode of stripping down my collection Um, granted it's not that good of a time to sell but I'm taking that money and putting it in other goals or cards so I tend to do that you know in times of buying stuff I may have like bought or just kind of sitting around, I just convert that into better deals that I think are going to go up more. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of times those extra things are like cheaper cards that I just got a really good deal on. Um, I have like a lot of PSA nine first edition, like uncommons commons that I picked up last year, pretty good price. And they're kind of hovering about the same or a little more. So I might convert those into, you know, some more binder set stuff or work towards Japanese promo. So that's that's kind of what I'm doing now. And then I also have a job change situation coming up. So just kind of reallocating money, mostly selling to buy. And I don't really see myself spending, you know, more than a couple, like, like you, um, you know, a couple hundred at most for the month but yeah just really dialing it down and really only buying stuff if i'm selling other stuff to convert but as far as the goals i got some binder stuff i do want the e-reader um expedition aquapolis sky ridge hollows there's 92 of them or 96 can't quite remember there's a ridiculous amount of hollows in those sets it's unreal. Yeah, i think it's 96 <laughs> like 32 hollows in each set and uh, yeah, they get pretty just, pricey, too. Yes, they do. I know that Arcanine is one of the better ones, but uh, yeah, that Arcanine's pretty pricey as well. They they all are, honestly, and that's because there just wasn't much made. Yeah, and really, I have a lot of stuff that was part of my goals. Like, I have the, um, like I mentioned, too, the non-hollow first edition base jungle fossil. I might sell those because where I once wanted to grade those during the hype. It's it's more like a well, I might as well like sell those now and turn the money into like those other hollows. Stuff like I know I'll grade just way down the road. Cuz I mean, you can buy first edition PSA 9 non hollows for really cheap right now. Um especially jungle and fossil. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. You can buy like non hollow rares for around 50 to 75 for some of those things. PSA 9 hollows are stupid cheap. But uh even some even some of the neos for the first edition hollows actually aren't that bad. Yeah. Some of them obviously are, right? Like the your big hitters Umbreon, Lugia, Ho-Ho. but a lot of the other ones aren't terrible and 
if, if you buy raw. Yeah. They really aren't. I have a PSA 9 Umbreon from Neo that I might sell too. Like, I really hate to get rid of that card, but it's like I have a loose copy for the binder goal, and like that money could be better used elsewhere. And then eventually I'll be caught up and then I can maybe buy it again. But I just need to get to a point where I'm done with the personal collection. Like, I just need that satisfaction of being like done and then anything put into it then is just getting better versions of what I got like I like keeping my personal collection like it's it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller over the years but it gets like higher quality higher quality higher quality but so that's kind of the direction I'm moving again right now so like instead of having the whole base set first edition you know I'll sell the non-hollows and get all my hollows graded and then could sell the jungle fossil and then get better versions of the base set hollows. And that's kind of how I operate. I, I collect big shave off the extra, like upgrade what what's left. It's just like a rinse and repeat. And I think a lot of people do that. Like that's how I like just build the value and build up the collection. It's weird. Like the value goes up, but the size of it gets smaller. With the Japanese yeah, I, promos, I think you're having that happens too. I say I think you're having a lot of people. A lot of people are saying, you know, there's not much stuff selling, blah blah blah. And really, what it is is, I think people are. You still have more people than ever within this hobby. the The big thing is, since things are op- opening up again, and as we cover more from post COVID, more people are going out and spending their money on other things, going to concerts, going to restaurants, they're playing sports, whatever. So their money's going elsewhere in a lot of places. Yeah. And I, I think especially parts in like the Midwest and other places that have the polarity with the, the weather, so cold, very cold and very hot, um, those places I think you'll still see cards do well and you'll be able to see products sell. But as a whole, I, I don't think it's surprising that the, as we approach the spring and summer there, there's a lull that really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but the, it but the, always but the interest, is, yeah, yeah, the the interest is still there. It absolutely is still there. It just at the end of the day, this is Pokemon, and it's cardboard. We all collect cardboard. It's very fun, but real life matters. There's other things to enjoy in life. That's something to not for, lose sight of. Yeah. And don't feel bad about selling your cards, especially like if you're putting it towards another card or another goal. Like, yeah, you're selling at a low point, but you're also buying your other card at a low point. So it's, you know, it's fine. And if you are using the money for something else, like it just comes down to what's important to you. I might be buying some new golf clubs here soon. So that's, that's. A good chunk of money that's not going into Pokemon for me, too. but Yeah, uh, you know, for sure. Yeah, just have fun in different ways. But, well, with that, I guess we should move on to the game. This is, uh, we, tend to, we tend to have a trend of going longer than we kind of plan at first. But I guess our podcast is just going to have to be a, a two-hour ordeal, which I'm fine I with. But I don't mind it at all, two hours, you know. 
Yeah. I think two, two, two and a half. I think you uh, we start going a little crazy if it hits three hours. I think we start losing people's attention spans at, at that point. Yeah. But, I, always, uh, <laughs> I always think of that like my collection too. Like I'm so minimal. It's like, well, if we can get it down to like an hour and a half and just have good quality, like cut out all the extra and crunch it down and be like the best quality ever. Like I just get stuck in my head with that stuff. But anyway, for the game, once again – Who's that flavor text? And uh, I can't remember who went first last time. I think I, I went don't, first. I don't remember either, honestly. Yeah, either way. Yes, you, you, did, you did go first. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first this time. So, this is a Pokemon. <laughs> it is I a know it. Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, so, what I was going to say, it does fit your parameters that we've set forth with... Uh, which try to keep it simple so it's not too crazy because we're obviously both not familiar with Gen 7 and 8. Um, so, this one is, its body is covered with a pure white fur. The colder the weather, the more active it becomes. The colder the weather, the more active it becomes. And it's white. And white fur. Trying to think here. Is it Articuno? It is not. <laughs> I just thought maybe the white with the chest here. Um, hmm. With a pure white fur. <laughs> Let me see. Like a dugong? Ooh! Is that it? That's it. <laughs> oh, what a guess. So, actually, it's the uh, Evolutions print of the base set artwork. I was actually curious. uh, The base set flavor text is actually different. And I I actually debated which one I was going to use, but... The base set's different than the Evolutions? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I checked to see if if it was the same or not, but it it was not. The other one here, I'm actually curious uh, since we're discussing what the other one is um but i thought that one you would have a pretty simple time because it's a card you're pretty familiar with and it's uh it's honestly like it's just a genuine pokemon um now dugong used to be like one of my favorites too (laughs) like low-key i don't think it was my favorite for very long but i loved lorelei from the e4 and uh, yeah. I just loved Dugong because it's like Dugong, Gong, Gong. <laughs> so. so, yeah, the, the original base set artwork is stores thermal energy and its body swims at a steady eight knots, even in intensely cold waters. So that one was probably going to be more difficult. Yeah, that one, I think that one would have been easier because. Really? Mean, but only if you said, like, you know, sticking to the parameters, like I was automatically thinking Gen 1, Gen 2. But yeah, the white fur. Kind of gave it away mm-hmm. for the second description, but I would have thought Dragonair in the that first description too because of the base set card swimming in the ice water. Yeah. Well, for mine, I'd be a little trickster or not okay. not so much. We'll see though. All right. They have gentle hearts. Because they rarely fight, many have been caught. 
their number has dwindled. I feel like I've seen this one before. I really do. Um, <laughs> Probably have. Maybe on a uh, some of your research questing. Is it Evie? Nope. They have gentle hearts. They have gentle hearts because they rarely fight. Many have been caught. Their numbers has dwindled. So, kind of giving you the vibes of like an endangered species type Pokemon. Is it Lapras? It is a Lapras. Oh my god, <laughs> look at that. We both got it. Second try for both of us. Yeah. Yep. I, I remember yeah, I remember specifically uh, reading at some point how Lapras is supposed to be endangered. Um, yeah. I, I don't I think it might even say in the original red and blue Pokedex description. Yeah, this is uh from Heart Gold Soul Silver, the rare Lapras non hollow. It's in okay. a yeah. I was gonna gonna say it just kind of gave you like the endangered vibes and, and some more description on it, like under the pictures says transport Pokemon. So figured you would was get it, it there. Was endangered in the it was in the original line, right? Um, I'd have to see here because Eevee wouldn't make any sense, is what I, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm I definitely bypassed that whole tidbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, Let's see what the original one was in Fossil. Uh, let's see here. So, a Pokemon that has been overhunted almost to extinction. It can ferry yeah. people across the water. That one would have been obvious with, with the last part. Yeah, and it's in the Is Fossil it? set, too. So. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, second try for both of us on that one. That might be the best we've done. Yeah. But I uh, guess that about does it for the game and for the podcast, really. I um, guess we'll close things out here. We hope you guys enjoyed everything. Um, for our next episode, we're not quite sure what we're thinking just yet. We're trying to get our first guest on here. Um, so we have a couple people in mind, but nothing is official yet. So we might leave it up to you guys and do like a poll or something on our Instagrams. So keep an eye out for that. It might be more of a, I don't know, I feel like a lax episode where we just kind of chill and talk like our favorite Pokemon um, episode. Um, I like those kind of lighthearted in between the more data-driven or the experienced driven ones but uh yeah anything uh, else you want to add before we head out uh yeah just a few things uh just to add on um this individual in question he has gone hard with pokemon and i think he'd be great for the show it's just there's been a lot of time issues and he's busy getting married and like getting that all planned out so there's just been a lot of stuff going on so we're, we're just not quite sure if we're going to be able to get him on in time. Uh, we hope so, eventually. Um, but just at the time. I know we were 
we might have a few ideas up to a poll and just kind of go from there, see what people think, some of our listeners think, and hopefully it'll be a a very, very good episode. Yep, sure it will be no matter what. So if you see that, go vote on our polls, on our stories, on our posts, and uh, maybe that episode will be next. So that pretty much does it, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Until next time, peace. Peace.